Hello there and welcome to our Over Our Garden Wall podcast with Bobby Hodgins discussing the music of 1970. The full podcast, including all songs chosen by Bobby, can be heard on Spotify. Search Over Our Garden Wall. However, if you can't access Spotify, this is a copy of all the chat from the podcast. You can, of course, listen to Bobby's songs on Apple Music too, just not in this podcast. Apologies for this and hopefully one day we can publish in full on Apple as we do on Spotify. Enjoy the chat and stay safe. Hello there and welcome to the third episode of Over Our Garden Mall, a music podcast that is setting out to establish, if possible, what the best year for popular music was. To help us do that, we will be joined by a special guest on each episode, who will nominate their favourite year and provide a playlist of songs from that year, which we will listen to, discuss and no doubt debate. I'm Brian Davidson and I'm joined again today by my co-host and neighbour, McDee. Hey, Hello McDee. there. How you doing, mate? I'm very good, or as we say in Green, what's happening? What's happening? <laughs> and more importantly, by today's guest, Robert Hodgins, better known to most as Bobby Bluebell. Hello. Bobby was a, hi, Bobby. Uh, Bobby <laughs> was a founder member, songwriter and guitarist for the Bluebells, who created the perfect debut album, Sisters, in 1984, which included the number one UK single, Young at Heart. As well as the Bluebells, Bobby was later a part of the Scottish supergroup The Poems and is currently a member of the band Fat Cops whose debut album in 2019 was reviewed in Mojo, stating, quote, if Black Grape had favoured crunches instead of crack, they might have sounded this sweet. <laughs> I, hope I, that, I hope I got that quote right. Um, hello, Bobby. Good to see you, mate, and thanks for joining hello, us. Hello, everybody. Uh, really looking forward to playing some of the tunes you've chosen from your nominated year, which is? 1970. 1970, on the money. We've had two great years so far. Um, Graham Skinner chose 1974, and Adam Miller selected 1966, and both were fantastic. But your playlist from 1970 is looking just as strong. So that's the introductions over. So let's kick off the podcast by playing Bobby's first selection from 1970. From the album Play It Loud, which was released in November of that year, this is Slade with Cause I Love You. That was the force of nature that's Slade, with her first hit single, Cause I Love You. It's a cracking tune to start with, and a great way to begin today's discussion. So, Bobby, obvious questions first. Why 1970 and why Slade is your first selection? Well, 1970, because really, like I was living in 1970, I think it's like the first... I'd heard music before, my brothers had lines like Moody Blues and, and obviously you heard things like the Beatles, but I think when you get to 11, you, you kind of like really begin to sort of like find your own music, you know, especially because you've got friends at school and friends at school were a big factor in all this. I mean, the Slade song... Actually, Slade became into our kind of like horizon through um, a, a "Stamp Your Feet," that "Stamp Your Feet" song, you know, like and uh, that was a big song in in school discos, you know, like you know, you, you know, uh, uh, I said "Stamp Your Feet," I said "Yeah, yeah,", yeah. you know, get yeah. down, get with it. Yeah. But so we we even though we didn't really know who who Slade were, that was a kind of big gang song, you know, one of those gang songs like "High Hole Silver Lightning" became, you know, and one of those songs that that. The boys would chant when they couldn't dance, you know, like they would all take to the floor. Whereas before school discos, the boys would be at the side of the walls and the girls would be up dancing. And then you'd got and that's a girl to dance, hoping for a mini. But but when they put on songs like Slade, all the boys, all right, now's another one, they'd all yeah. go on the floor and, and be boys in a gang, you know, because they were still a bit shy to, to think of girlfriends and you get my drift. And then later on, when, when, we, when we got to hear Cause I Love You, that I remember thinking, at the time, that was a really special re- record, you know, that you know, the whole sound of it, the whole the whole lyric, you know, I won't laugh at you when you boo-hoo-hoo because I love you. I mean, it's very nursery rhyme, but once you put in that gypsy fiddle, and the gypsy fiddle, 
obviously stuck in my head because obviously when we came to things like Young at Heart, I was determined to, to do a song with, with a fiddle in it. You know, yeah. really, there's another one at the same time called the Jigga Jig by East of Eden. Right. But the same year was another big one. I went to a school called Lures in Paisleywood West and the school disc was actually in the church, yeah. a little building at the side of the church, you know, and it was... So those songs really do stick in your head, you know, and, and they, those were the first kind of songs that you you would actually go away and try and find yourself, you know, like like ask who who is that? You go to the DJ, who's who is this? You know, and then of course Top of the Pops was one of the biggest factors yeah. in that whole process. We all knew what time to get Thursday night, Top of the Pops. Everyone would be watching it, and next day at school it would be did you hear that song? And that was definitely one of those songs, you know. And did you do you remember Slade being quite visual at the time? They were yeah. kind of quite quite well, big personalities, didn't they? Well, I think that, that I know they went into that uh, kind of like more glam thing, but they were there's quite a lot of suede head in there, you know, and skinhead with with, with Slade, you know, and, and a, you could there was a bit of menace and bower boy, you know. There was a kind of, I know I've met I've since met people in Nordia a few times, and there isn't any menace, if you know what I mean. Yeah. But but there was that kind of like they they wouldn't be scared of a fight, you know. I mean, you know, even though we were, they, they wouldn't be, you know. They could look like they could handle, especially the drummer. The drummer looked like he could <laughs> anybody, you know. Like touches of um, Peaky Blinders in them, isn't it? We used to see what Noddy all the time in this place called the Columbia Hotel. We moved down as Blue Bells to stay. All, all the Scottish bands, Liverpool bands stayed there. And, and, and most weekends, Noddy would turn up really late at night, half cut, got on the, the big piano. You'd go on the piano and he would sing, you know, Red Kiss with everybody, you know, in the middle of summer. And it was one of the highlights of, of you know, when you're thinking, oh my God, I'm in the pop world now and there's Noddy Holder in, in the the lounge of the Columbia Hotel singing Happy Birthday and we were all joining in, you know. Well, that, um, Cause I Love You, it was definitely the, it was kind of the breakthrough song for them, really, wasn't yeah, it? The, it was. The, the I mean, number one, I mean, yeah. can imagine the buzz from them going from like being 53 in the charts with Get Down and Get With It to number one, the next record. I mean, fantastic. Uh, and, yeah. a, and even now, that's a really original record in every way. Yeah, you say that Ledge of Ireland thing's great. I, I picked yeah. up on a review at the time, you know, from, I think it was Melody Maker or Enemy or somebody, and the guy reviewing it said that the song had, and I quote, boot boy rhythm that anchored its swirling menacing violin line and the two combined to give the single its frightening primitive rage. Yeah, very color orange. It's a great, that's a great bit there. Do you it's know, it's funny, it? at that time, there's quite a few bands violins. There's another band called Curved Air that I wanted to put in. There's a song called Backstreet Love, and it's quite a similar... Violin. I've always thought they they either they either had heard Slade or Slade heard them because yeah. the, the parts are quite similar, you know. Well, it was the start of a kind of imperial phase for them, wasn't it? I think they um, just after that they ended up they had three singles that went straight yep. to number one. Um, they'd come and feel the noise, squeeze me, please me, and then Merry Christmas. Everybody. And look, look what you've done. That's a that's that was a fall. What a song that is. Look what you've yeah. done to me. What what a great record that is, man. Fantastic. What a singer. Do you think he's one of John Lennon's favourite singers? No, the holder. No, the holder. Oh, I'm, not, I'm not surprised. I mean, they had a they had a fantastic live reputation, Bobby, and uh, they did. I saw, I saw them live; they were fantastic. Yeah, and I just I, I wonder. Do you think maybe maybe not being given the credit as a as a proper band? Maybe yeah, of course. That, I mean, see, the thing is, we we went through that phase. I mean, people people want you to you have a number one record that people want you to be 
embarrassed, you know, like, oh, that's so catchy or ridiculously catchy, or it's just, I mean, like, oh, I remember people say we were like, like Black Lace, do you know what I mean, or, or Agadoo. I was thinking, how, I mean, so what? Do yeah. you, you understand what the word pop means? It means popular, you know, like, I mean, the only way you can judge pop and music is how many records it sells. And that's the only way you can judge it, you know. And it's like I tell you one thing is there's lots of great songs that are forgotten, right? But there's not many great songs that I mean, not many for, unforgettable songs that are forgotten. If you get my drift, you know, the <clears throat> songs people they go to number one because people remember them. Remember? Yeah. There's a great quote by Paul McCartney about the Beatles in that in that uh, program where he was talking to uh, Rick. I mean, the guy that the producer guy was he called, and he, and he, he says. Uh, the Beatles songs were all memorable because we had nothing to tape record them onto. We had nothing we had to remember the songs the next day. That's, you know? right, that's right, Ruben, because he used to try and make each song when they were so when they were playing them back, they would remember that's the one where John does this. Yes. And it, isn't that a fantastic thing? You know, you have had, you, I mean, I'd have to I'd have to record that or demo that. We just went we just went and recorded it because we knew, right? I mean, Brian Rama did it. I was great with Siobhan, and she did it first. And it, it wasn't at all the way it was in my head. So we did, that's why we did it, you know. The Brian Rama version is very stoic. I take it it was stoic, you know, what? what yeah, well, we did, we were doing a Northern, we were, we and Siobhan were very into Northern Soul. So we both did it that way. And, and when we, Northern, no, I don't think those two guys were in Northern Soul. They did it kind of, it was, it was actually Jolly and Swain that did it, not Stockley, could have worn and Joel, I mean, Stott Aiken Walkman would have done a better job of it, to be honest, but Jolly yeah. Swain were into kind of like, um, it's just a very black, I, I like it, but it's, it's it, it doesn't, it didn't have any dynamics in it, whereas we, all we wanted was dynamics in it, we wanted it, the lift and, 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 and the hooks. Yeah. Wanted, I wanted to put in, but I think every bit of Dernit Heart, the, the reversing we did is a hook, from the marimba to the bass, even to the drum part, you know, to all the vocals. To the violin, everything was designed to be a hook. I mean, I remember at the time my big thing one of it was a uh, painted black by by um by Bones, you know, da, 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 that's actually kind of in it. Marimba's actually kind of doing that kind of part anyway. So it wasn't like and I remember Boy George loved it, you know, and you can you can hear how all of that in, in Boy George songs. I think Club were very bluebellish, you know, the harmonicas mm. and the kind of country, you know, you know, like Camera Chameleon, you know, it's even the same guy. Played, I mean, Judd Lander played harmonica. He was our he was our plugger at London Records, you know, great guy. So I mean, so that so a lot of these things that we're talking about Slade and Curb, there a lot of things are synchronicity. You know, that synchronicity. Have you? I was friends with Boy George because he was Siobhan's sister's flatmate. You know, he came to see us and we saw bands that. Played had harmonicas like I.E. the Beatles love me do right and, and we wanted the light fiddles like we said of it so all that all these things come together and all bands you know all bands have a little bit of of each other in them I think yeah. you know and uh, and reflect the time as well I mean obviously like I think Banana Rama made some great pop records but I'm not a big fan of their version of Young at Heart yeah, but, well, but, you and know, if we, we would have done it. You're spot on, right? We, I mean, that made made us want to 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 well, made me want to. I thought it was a much better song than than it sounded on their on their records, you yeah. know. And I was right. You were right, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, the, the, the stats don't lie, do they? Without, getting, a, without getting away from the the year we're talking about here, I, I actually use this as a. In fact, Bobby and Ken McCluskey both gave me versions of it so when I tell the story I tell it right and um, 
I, I, you know what? I was just going to say there that you went top five the first time and then went to number one in the nineties. Is that correct? Or yeah, you... well, it, it was uh, number eight in, in nineteen eighty four, number one in nineteen ninety three. Yeah. So I mean, obviously, you've had the experience of having a number one single, which is not a lot of people. Can... Oh, twice in fact. Yeah. But which... that's all, all we wanted. I mean, it's funny when we started off. We would have been happy to have them on record and never did anything again. I mean, I don't mean that sounds glib now, but it, it it's like the cup final. You know, it, it's like you know, it, I mean, like St. Johnson winning the Scottish Cup. They might not win it, but forty five times, but winning it once is yeah. well, they won it twice. Yeah. Now, it's an amazing achievement, you know. So Absolutely. we wanted to be to, to have won it at least once, you know. Slade did play in Greenock. They played in Greenock on the fifteenth of October, nineteen seventy one. The guy that's telling me this is my cousin Jim, who was in a band called Pretty Boy Floyd, who was spotted because Noddy Holder saw them at the Hammersmith Odeon at a battle of the bands and told Chas Chandler. And Chas Chandler had them down to do demos and they ended up in the old Grey Whistle test. So they never amounted to anything, but that does the whole backstory to that as a result of Noddy Holder seeing them. Fantastic. Um, that's fantastic, and I yeah. think you, you know. I think we've all got a bit of a soft spot for, for Slade. So not only the song, because the the song that, that you picked, Bobby's fantastic, but um, yeah. that, the kind of on stories that come off of the back of that there. Yeah, um, I think they have got a legacy. Yeah, and also, um, I mean, they, I mean, Slade went through a big slump, and then they came back with yeah. that fantastic song of every day, you know, and and uh, far 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 away, and that film they made is one of the best pop films you've ever which seen. I've never, which I've never seen. Everybody talks about this. Yeah, it's yeah. great. So just to, I mean, move, yeah. to move on a bit from that then, um, yeah. I was just going to finish off by saying that I actually went to see Slade and Flame um, at the local ABC in Greenock when I was, I think I was 10. Fantastic. Yeah. And it's my first real sort of proper memory of, of an event um, yeah. because a lot of the boys were up on the stage wow. when the film That's was great. on, they dancing away and stuff. And I didn't... Well, I wish quite, that sounds amazing. That it sounds was amazing. Great. And I didn't quite get what was happening, but, um, but you know, that kind of memory sat in your head. And it anarchy. Was, it was Fantastic. a bit of anarchy. It was. Yeah. And, um, and long may it continue. Long yeah. May it continue. But listen, it's a great start. I think, um, it, you know, I think that, that the songs like that are, are very much the epitome of 1970. And I think yeah. as you go through the rest of your songs, Bob, we'll see there's a real mix to to what you've got as well, <laughs> which is great. That's, that's the whole point of, of doing this. So, well, forget, the good thing is I was eleven here, so any yeah. any mistakes, I was eleven. <laughs> One other question, just before we move yeah. on, then was what would have been your maybe second preference year? So, if it wasn't 70, 70 I think what, it would be my first gig was seventy two, and that was El, Elton John at Kelvin Hall. So, I, I think I might have gone because it's like. But my wee boy's 10, like, he doesn't go to town on his own, just hardly goes anywhere on his own. This is what society we're in now. But back in those days, no one took, took us to school. No one picked us up from school. We walked into town. We had paper runs. We had our own money. We went We went to gigs, you know. We went to see the Stones. We saw Bowie, 73. You know, we went to everything. I went to so many gigs, you wouldn't believe it. And, I mean, Bobby's book, Bobby Gillespie's book, Tenement Kids, right? Mm. That's my story. It's a own story. It's a great book. The start of it, you know, my dad worked in Govan, Govan Shipbuilders. He, he was night shift, so I never saw him during the day. He came, he came home at night. I mean, he went to work at night, and we came home from school. He was in bed, and then he went to work. So we had a lot of freedom, you know what I mean? And, and we lived in streets where it wasn't a lot of cars, and you, we, had a lot, we had a lot of independence, you know? And, and that, that leads you into... A, it wasn't a gang. We were a gang, but not a gang. We, yeah. we were a gang of boys, but not. A, and we were scared of gangs. You know, we did everything mm. we could we had to plan our routes home to avoid gangs. But 
that was a frizz on, on you know on, on the scene you were you know you knew the I mean, it's like that Beach Boys song, the bad guys news and, and that they leave us alone because we, we were into music and music was the kind of thing that gave you a kind of like a, a cloak of invulnerability. You know, if, if they saw you with Electric Warrior or, you know, or whatever album you had under your arm, you know, like they, they would ask you, what's that? You know, it wasn't like they wouldn't even try and steal it. They would just, they would genuinely be interested in what, what it was, you know. And, and the school disco thing too, there was gang fights at the school disco, but you, but they were easy not to be involved in. It was someone getting someone, you know, or someone, you know, you know, it wasn't like a big melee. It was like two or three guys, you know, jumping in, you know. Moving on from from Slade and uh, and everything about them, and I think your next selection's um, pretty different. Yeah. So you went for To Be Young, Gifted and Black by Bobby Marcia. Yeah. So what can you tell us about that song, Bobby? Well, again, again, at that time, 70s, the sweathead thing and skinhead thing, Crombies, Arthur Blacks, was all was a really big thing. I mean, our school was a Lewis was a big thing. I still got my Arthur Black. We used to go to Arthur Blacks and see it square, and it's a school jotter in a big queue, and the jotter would come down and you would draw what you wanted on your shirt or your coat, right? You know, and, and the thing about Young Gifted and Black and all those reggae hits at the time that was come up from from the skinheads in London, you know, in Birmingham and back, you know, and whatever colleges, it was coming to Glasgow. There was a big skinhead movement in Glasgow for a long time. So those songs were percolating into, into your school, you know, and that, that's, that song, don't forget, right, you're talking a virtually completely white school, Lourdes, like, white Catholic school, right, and, you know, and, and then you're singing, all of us were singing to be young, gifted, and black, right? But we were changing the last, we were changing the words. The, the guys were changing the words into be young, gifted, and you know, whatever, you know, whatever word they wanted to add to it. So all these songs, again, going back to High Hill Silver Lining and all those things, the words, not three times, another one and Don, mm. the, the, the boys were changing the words into, I guess these became football chants in the end, you know, or gang chants. So Young Gifted and Black, A, it's a great song. No one, we never sang Young Gifted and I sang Young Gifted and Black, and a lot of us did, right? But a lot of people in the in the school, you know, were singing whatever variation yeah. they wanted to sing, sing of it, you know? So and those songs really stick in your head, you know? And it's a cover version, is that right? Cover, yeah, I think it was uh, uh, Nina Simone. Nina Simone, did it yeah. a musical or something, yeah. She did, it's a great yeah. version. All those reggae versions, all those records, I mean, are, but, but they were dance songs, right? There wasn't dance music back then. Those were the dance, those were records you were yeah. dancing to, like, Hey Girl, Don't Bother Me, The Tams, and, you know, those, those that was our George Bowie, if you know what I mean, right? That was, that was the, that, that, that song we played now, everyone would go and dance to it in our school, the minute, the minute you put it on, you know? Yeah, and it was a big hit in the UK. I, I was reading, they, um, they actually toured it, with Elton John and Gilbert O'Sullivan, well, and because um, they weren't they weren't known before before yeah, the song yeah. came out, and they, they toured around the UK and done quite well. But they at the end of the tour, they kind of said to the guys, "Where's the money?" Just, this might sound familiar to you, Bobby, and uh, <laughs> and they said that, that there wasn't any. And when they they're quoted as saying that when they left Jamaica, their producer stroke manager didn't have a studio, and when they got back, he had a new studio and a new Benz. Oh yeah. Oh. I mean, I think um, I think she, yeah. she was I think she was Marcia Griffiths, and she became a really great, massive singer, man. You know, like I mean, I mean, anybody look up Marcia Griffiths. She does fantastic 
She joined. Um, I think Marcia Gifford joined I three, who were the the backing group. That's right, Bob Marley. Marley. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you can hear them um, uh, on Natty Dread. Yeah, they uh, they were the kind of backing ensemble for that. No woman to cry and, and all all those tunes. So uh, you're right. Our, our kind of our, our legacy didn't just go through the the song. It kind of yeah. carried into all sorts of classic um, reggae stuff. I think they began to realise. I mean, it, Jamaica at that time they, they stole a lot of songs and they would just change the title. For instance, like you'd get a, a big hit in in Britain and uh, America instrumental hit or a, a song, and they would just change into like say they would give it a name like. Um, 07 or something like that. That isn't an example, but but I mean they would just change the word to, to avoid copyright, you know. I think they got rumbled very quickly, very quickly, you know. I think they had to realise they had to write their own songs to make any money. Yeah, I, I, and another thing I, I smiled at when I read it was I mentioned Elton John there and he actually covered it. And the I, 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 I tried to find it. You remember he did those Top of the Pops? Yeah, got to them, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, well, there's there's nothing digital that I could lay my hands on um, at the moment because I think the record they did was called Chatbusters Go Pop and they did wow. like a, an edition every year of that. Yeah, yeah. And Elton John was one of the sort of session singers that, that did that. Fantastic. So. I, liked, I think a lot of those people who sang sessions became pop stars in their own right eventually, yeah, you did. know? Absolutely. I had a story that Elton John was on Grooving, the track Grooving with Mr. Blow, which is one of these, the story, it's just one of these records you discover and you don't know who made it. It's like faceless people, but was that kind of tied in there? I think he, I think he is on that, yeah. I think he, something along those lines, because don't forget, he was playing a lot of steam packet records, but I think all those kind of records that were made through the 60s just as a keyboard player, so he's probably got a lot of records. When I when I mentioned um, that it was one of the songs that was getting played, a friend of mine said that the songs performed on a film that came out this year called The Summer of Soul, which was That's a fantastic. documentary uh, yeah. about a big Harlem music festival in 1969. It. It's incredible. It's incredible. Yeah, I think Nina Simone actually sings it yeah, in, yeah. in the film, which I haven't saw yet, but um, again, it's a, a marker to, to see that as well. Yeah, she was on not long ago on TV talking about, about it, you know, how, how powerful it was, you know, to, to, to give black people that hope to say that, we, you know, because they were so rep- repressed and suppressed, you know, like, yeah. and she wanted to give them something to, to feel proud about, you know. And it was kind of one of the civil rights movements was, um, kind yeah. of anthems, really, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, for, for a whole bunch of reasons. Fantastic well, record, you know. I mean, don't forget at the same time, I mean, like, I mean, I know it was a joke, but the Beatles were singing Get Back and the lyrics were about Pakistanis, you know, right? And they were singing White Power, right, in, in rehearsal rooms, because it was all that, at that point in time, it was all Enoch Powell. You know, there was quite, and you had Rod Stewart and Eric Clapton saying they, they agree with Eric with Enoch Powell and they wanted, too much wanted immigration to stop, so it was it was a great way. It's a great way thing that the skinheads brought to to Britain was an acceptance of of, of black culture and music. They didn't. I mean, skinheads weren't racist. You know, maybe they, they were later on, but I'm pretty yeah, sure that not the first, not the first generation. Yeah, it, was, it was love of music. It was love of the culture that, that brought, it drove them. You know. Yeah, and it was calm. You know, for all the right reasons, not yeah, yeah. not for other reasons. Well, we um we have a listen. Yeah. Okay, so released in 1970 and reaching number five in the UK, this is To Be Young, Gifted and Black by Bob and Marcia. That was To Be Young, Gifted and Black by Bob and Marcia. Just wonderful. The music scene was very active in 1970. I picked out a couple of notable events that took place. We can touch on those. Arguably the biggest music story of the year was the split of the Beatles in April, I think, of that year. Uh, and reading back at the time, there was a kind of perception at the time that the way they split and the last record that they had kind of tarnished their reputation a little bit at that time. Uh, what's your thoughts on that? Would, would you see that now? or? 
Well, it's funny because when we were at school, there wasn't really any Beatles action, to be honest. You know, I think for that, I mean, I don't like a thing called really that we get when I got played would be get back, you know, like and uh, but again, it I think that maybe the I mean, we'd be the living right, we'd probably we probably thought of that as being your big brother's music, you know, what yeah. I mean, or your parents' music at yeah. that point, and uh, it's like. <coughs> Pardon me. It's funny. I, I couldn't. I couldn't think of any people. I mean, I remember. I tell you what. I really liked, and, and I liked my sweet lord. You know, obviously, all happy day and all that, all that kind of stuff. And, but I remember liking a, a, a Ringo Starr song. Was it maybe photograph or something like that? Man, yeah. no, no. It's a, it's a, a, you know, don't come easy. And that was getting played. And it was around about the same period, period of time as Spirit in the Sky. And there's no way. All those records were kind of connected. There was a kind of, again, another thing in, in the air, you know, I guess amongst all these musicians, but kind of spiritual thing was obviously going on. I think it goes back to Old Happy Day again and Bob Dylan and stuff. But we weren't, we weren't aware of that. We were just, we just wanted songs, I mean, to stomp to. I mean, I mean it's funny, you know, stamp your feet and stomp, go back to the Slade thing. That was really the kind of motivation for us, you know. There was some records that you wanted to come on. If you liked a girl, you wanted to try and Mooney, you know, Kiss for three minutes, like I'm still waiting by Dana Ross, even though that was later. There was ones you you would try and you would try and get to the girl that all the guys wanted to get to first, you know, right? You know, and and so, but other than that, it was it was definitely a boys thing, you know. Boys were dancing on their own, and, he, and a lot of these songs reflect that, I think. Yeah, I think there was. Um, you talk about stomping and stuff. Then there was some pretty good stroke important gigs in 70 as well. I was uh, I was reading a, a Rolling Stones article, I think it was, on yeah. the kind of most important gigs through through the last 40, 50 years. You know, these kind of pieces that they do. And there was actually four or five of them that were from 1970. Uh, they quoted, uh, they spoke about the Who gig at Leeds, of course. Yeah. Uh, which came, gave us a live at Leeds um, record, um, which, you know, is a sort of fairly um, groundbreaking. I've got that, yeah. Yeah, amazing. They talked also about the first time Neil Young and Crazy Horse played the, the Fillmore. Wow. Um, and I think there's a 16 minute version of uh, Cowgirl and Sand, I think is the last I mean, see, that's, on that. all, that's all out of, our, out of our vision at that point. Yeah. You know, we, we, we were Wilbur's boys. I tell you what, you do, it's funny, right? We had this, this kind of cafe called the Lyceum Cafe, right? And another one called uh, Angelini's, I think it was. And we're up where we lived, another one, I can't remember, Luperini's. And what they used to do was they had jukeboxes, but after a month, they take the records out of the jukebox and sell them to you for a penny or a, or a shilling, right. each penny, whatever, you know. So a lot yeah. of the records we were getting, we were getting, because we were in the cafe, and the guy would say, do anyone want to buy these records? And that's the, the first records that we ever bought were, were old jukebox records. I still got some of them with no models in them. Yeah, you know, the, like, that's right, the die cut. Yeah, I, yeah. I, 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 I was just I got one, I got one, which I really love. It's a, it's a Frank Ifield, The Summer Is Over, right? You know, looks like something. And even now, it takes me right back to my mum and dad's living room at our house. You know, right? And it's actually a fantastic song. Dusty Springfield did it too. You know, and the words are beautiful. I wouldn't, I wouldn't think of myself ever being a Frank Ifield fan. You know, and I don't, I don't I think it's isn't that great that we didn't care who we, none of us cared who was making the record. None of us knew who were making the record. We didn't have any like someone explaining to us that so and so made that. That all came later on when we got sounds in NME and Record Mirror when, when we were going to secondary school. But at this point in time, when you heard it, 
there was a kind of consensus. My, my wee boy's the same. Him and his friends all seem like the same songs. Like, like you know, instantly they all they all get it, you know. And and I think it's just like chocolate, I guess. It's a chocolate bar that everyone likes better than another other packet of crisps. So for us, that it was because I love you and like Young Young Dirty the Black and, the, and these other songs that are coming up. I just know that that in my circle and the places I was going to, they, they, they were the ones that always got the reaction. You know, it wasn't I was going home. I didn't take Nickers home, put on headphones and listen to, to music. I, I, I listened to it outside, you know, yeah. and, and with friends, and that's that's how we, we got into it, you know. Yeah, kind of communal, really, yeah. Communal, yeah, yeah. yeah. Talking about gigs, Bobby, you know, if, uh, what would your sort of favourite or best Bluebells gig be? Top of your head. What, oh. what jumps out at you? I, I, the ones at the start when we did things like Spaghetti Factory and Rock Garden, the, the ones everything's really great at the start, but they they were brilliant. But then when we, when we got to play with like Haircut Hundred and Elvis Costello and Orange Juice and big venues, mm. and you have no pressure on you, and those people were so good to you, you know, like those, that was a really exciting, really exciting time, you know. And it, being in a, in a, you know, traveling around the country in a, in a minivan with your five best friends is. Mm. Undeniably a great experience, you know what I mean? No, even the worst days were the best days if you get my drift, you know. Even a bad gig was a great gig. Talking about, um, you know, the bands playing together and stuff, and there was a couple of big festivals in, in 70 that were yeah. kind of, um, I suppose, iconic in their own way. So you'd had the Isle of Wight Festival, which yeah, yeah. had been going on, but I think 70 was probably as big as it got, really. Um, and I think there was 600,000 people there oh. over four or five days. Um, Hendrix, Doors, Johnny Mitchell. Dylan. Dylan, Super Champ, Leonard Cohen, John Baez, who... Well, um, again, we, again, we'd be, we'd be oblivious to that. We would have no clue that was no, going on, man, you know? Different, different world, really, I guess. I mean, again, I mean, our our area was from Pollock, you know, in the south to, to Govan and, and, yeah. and, you know, the north, you know, Bridge of the West End, to Kingham Park, you know, a bit more west, to Cardonal. That was our kind of, like, Penalee. That was our world... Cause we could walk everywhere in that in that circle, you know, and all our friends were, were there. So that was my world, you know. Yeah, but it was also it was the year of the first Glastonbury Festival, um, which at the time was called, I'll get this right, the Pilton Pop Blues and Folk Festival. Wow, well, pretty catchy, man. eh? Really? Um, but it actually took notable for a couple of reasons. But it took place two days after Jimi Hendrix passed away. And um, which I guess is pretty notable. Another thing was that uh, one of the main headliners was uh, T Rex. Yep. And that didn't, was, didn't Barry play it as well? He played the following year. I think partly because Mark Bowen had played the year before, and as you know, they were always very competitive. Yeah, of course. Pretty really good. Yeah, really close, yeah. And uh, it probably leads in quite nicely into your next song, which is uh, Ride Away Swan by well, T Rex. Cool, yeah. So I think, that, you know, they were going through a bit of a kind of reinvention at the time, I yeah, think, yeah. on style and sound. What, what was your memories of T-Rex at the time? Well, again, things like, the, 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 I remember the cover, I think the album cover was half a sleeve. So you, that folded up and that, that was enough to get everyone, everyone at school interested, you know. Yeah. And, and then I, I think that the best thing about that is, I mean, again, another another dance track. I mean, that's a real stomper, you know. You know yeah. And, I mean, who, imagine being living and hearing those lyrics, you know, you know, uh, right, the last one, I mean, it's catchy, 
catches his hair, man. It sounds mystical, you mean, like, you know, and then when you see, you actually see them. I remember the big thing at our school was Mickey Finn more than, more than um, Mark Bowling, just like this. Because, I mean, at that point, the boys in secondary school across the road, Lourdes, they were all long hair like Mickey Finn, big Air Force co- coats, you know, very, very uh, look like men to us. Only they were only two or three years older, you know. So you, I think it was, I don't even know the Zeppelin were going at the time, but it was definitely a different kind of like, you know, Black Sabbath thing. So we were kind of like teeny boppers and they were like, thinking of us as being real kids, you know, right? And then, and it's funny to think, because I mean, I remember later on when, when um, Electric Warrior coming out, people thought you were gay. If you like T-Rex, you know, like, and, and, and the thing is, I don't think I'd, I'd ever even heard the word or the concept. Yeah, we talked to um, when Graham was on, we talked about the sort of Bowie, Roxy yeah. era and uh, how everyone ended up sort of blending into each other. And as you say, it became almost kind of asexual and it was no no yeah. particular rhyme or reason. It was just about the music and the style and male or female didn't really matter. And, well, uh, even, even I, remember, I remember being shocked at seeing skinheads with makeup on, mascara yeah. on. I, I, think, I know it's something to do with the of orange, but that didn't occur to us at the time. I remember thinking, and then, that probably is a little bit moving moving into glam as well because I mean yeah. I mean I know they, they keep saying that Mark Bowling was the first girl put glitter on his face. In, in, I'm not even sure that that's even true. I'm pretty sure that there was Zappa and and, and Alice Cooper were already mm. you know plowing that furrow themselves. Mm. I mean I'm sure makeup and, and music has been a big thing for for decades, not just the seventies, you know. You, you mentioned earlier on that it was a kind of real foot stomper, toe tapper, and it yeah. was interesting when I was sort of picking up on the songs for the the playlist, and uh, I only realised when I was doing it that it actually doesn't have any drums on it. Well, it's got um, Fantastic, sort of hand claps and tambourine as well, the as the kind of the rhythm that goes through it. And well, I, there you they go. Want, they want I don't even I didn't, I didn't even realise that. Man. No idea, mate. And uh, they wanted something that felt quite light. Yeah, they didn't want it to be, you know, particularly hard. They wanted to have that kind of, uh, um, kind of. That's interesting because because yeah. I remember finding things like Deborah afterwards, mm. you know, and and being really impressed with Deborah, thinking what that is a, a fantastic song too. Also, I tell you, what, I don't was saying you too, but we we really really love Mungo Jerry, a song called Baby Jump, which is basically T Rex as well, man. Right, and I really loved it, uh, Lady Rose. Which is, I think, had a big influence on me on Young at Heart as well. You know, you know, I love her, I love my lady Rose. Yeah. Da, dee, dee, dee. I mean, it's a, a another fantastic song. You know. I think uh, the T Rex were probably helped. They had uh, Tony Visconti, didn't they, doing some oh, producing? Who was uh, his and another legend. So. And played well, the bass on it as well, didn't he? He did. Yeah. That's right. Just, just to fill in the knowledge gap for the people that are listening, just to make sure I've got this right. Tyrannosaurus Rex was just Mark Bowling and Mickey Finn, is that right? And it was another just, guy, a guy called Steve Took was was the percussion player then, and then it was just, it was just when, Mark Bowling and a percussionist at that point. Yeah, and, and Mickey Finn, as I've seen, he was a big part of it, a really big part of of the the, the image, you know, really a really major part. I and mean, I think he he get, he left it then, didn't he? Or kicked out in the end, maybe. But is that not that thing about you know one minute you were like on John Peel even back in those days? You were like doing something a wee bit left of center, and the next minute you're on the charts. You know, mm. it's, yeah, it's, you know, that's the kind of thing. I think of the songs that are in the charts. Think of Hot Wind. 
in the top ten in silver machine. Can you imagine that now? Can you think? I mean, as I think, I mean, the, the charts then were super eclectic. You know, there was no real, there was no real like. I mean, another thing I hate the charts at the moment is every chart's got a genre that a chart every genre. You know, I mean, country chart, you know, ambient elevator music chart, you know, experimental. I mean. Just have a chart. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, and so, let's... so you know when you're actually counting down that it is the, the only chart that matters. I mean, you well, know, we all, we all, that's we, everyone that we knew, Orish just and Aztec Cameron and haircuts and you know, and Julian Cope, all we wanted was to be in the charts, mm. you know. And and, and again, I, I I don't think it was particularly because of the money, it's because of that's what we were we were we were in that to get noticed. We wanted the claim, you want you wanted people yeah. to say you know, well done and, and great song. And you wanted to have, you wanted to go to all the parties and all the TV shows. And I remember people saying they hated Top of the Pops and being on Top of the Pops, how boring it was, man. We had the greatest time in Top of What bit of that is boring? Yeah. You mean meeting other bands, you know, like, you know, and, and they were acting like they were bored or we do this all the time. You're thinking, well, we don't. We're going to yeah. <laughs> we do this all the time. We're not going to have a laugh, but you'll get bored with it. When, when did you, when, how would you get bored with this? Yeah. Do you mean, you know, what bit of that would you get bored with? <laughs> My first experience with national television was when White Out did the work and um, we turned up at 7 o'clock in the morning and they were still painting the, the studio and putting the couch out. So over the course of the day we watched as this, it went from an empty studio to being, sorry, it went from being an empty studio to being you this Channel 4 programme that we watched. Meanwhile, the band are in their dressing room and Debbie Gibson, I don't know if you remember her. Yeah. So, so they were playing Ring Bang Squish in her dressing room door. They were just running along and knocking their door and running away again. And, that's, but, that's, that's what you got to be doing. Is that on YouTube? I'd like to see that. Yeah. Uh, we, there's a few. I, I mean, Liam Gallagher was at it. We were we were going into it with Oasis the following month. But I, I, I remember I, was, you, you were a hot, really, really hot band. I mean, that time, a great band, I thought. The manager blew it though. <laughs> don't, don't encourage him, Bobby. Please, yeah, we'll be here. Encourage, encourage me, Bobby. I've told wants, you before. To I've told you before, anyway, You know. He wants to do a documentary on White House. I wouldn't so actually fight that. Yeah. Bobby you pictures should, heavily in the story. Last night from Glasgow, put your album out again. They'll do it. It's a great album. There's like the reissued the the first album and a Japanese import album through Demon Records, I think, next year. But Fantastic. Um, I, I, I remember we did three, just. Just before we signed our deal, we did some gigs with the Rockin' Birds, and the night the Rockin' Birds played in Glasgow at King Tut's, we ended up at the... You were DJing, and we went specifically because you were DJing. Oh, that's maybe, maybe you knew one of the Rockin' Birds, but... Is it the Volcano? The Volcano. And yeah, Paul, yeah. Paul from White Out was, you know, he wasn't a heavy drinker, shall we say. <laughs> and the next morning, I, I, I couldn't get him to get out of the van, so the van and all the equipment was outside my house, and I opened the van door in the morning, and he'd just been sick over everything. <laughs> I knew that was coming, man. <laughs> yeah, you'd never Don't go ever tell that story again. Yeah, <laughs> you may want to edit that out. Well, Paul was, getting, Paul was getting out with a girl called Debbie from Manchester who had a... Been around. She was getting out with, she'd been getting out with the bass player from the Verve and stuff like that. But anyway, so that was... that. You know, you know when you're in a band and even the fact that somebody's getting out with somebody, a girl who knew who'd been getting out with somebody from the Verve and she knew new orders and stuff that. That, that was bit. all all part of it, wasn't it? Of course it was. That was the greatest but, thing about the whole thing, man. But uh, De Debbie's band shared the rehearsal room with Oasis, so I'm, I'm not going to tell this story because I did it two weeks ago. Ah, because he's already told the story. That's how he knew Debbie, didn't he? Isn't that yes. how he got to get 18 wheeler, wasn't it? Or something but, like that. The reason we got to play with Oasis was because I walked up to Liam. We went to see them in Manchester in the city. 
Yeah. We've been playing and we missed them, but we went to um, the Hop Grapes and somebody said that's Oasis over there. So I think it was Debbie. So I wandered over and had a conversation with them. Well, it turns out that conversation was apparently I walked up and uh, Quigsy told my students this and said, I'm idea managed fight out. We're going to sign to Silverton and leaves a big on a Santa creation. Let's do gigs. And uh, that's how that tour came about. That's so, fantastic. But, but again, you, the stuff you're talking about, I've got stories like Roddy McKenna. Again, I'm mentioning to him to you if you know him. But I do. Was, he, he lives in the LA, does he not now? No, no. Roddy's still yes, back yeah, in Glasgow. Yeah. But Roddy was the Silverton AR guy, but he went down to London with a first priority. Uh-huh. Then became the booker for the Oxford Roadshow, ended up working as a publisher. But his mate was the manager of the. Right, I'm getting names wrong here, right? Is it Judd or one of them was going out with one of the Go Go's, married to one of the Go Go's? And oh, that's a Scottish guy, yeah. I worked with a couple of the Go Go's. Jay Weedlin, it was he married. Jay Weedlin, that's right. Yeah, also, yeah. Rama, Roddy stayed in a squat with Banana Rama, so he kind of knew all you guys. But it's his. The way he told the story, it just sounded brilliant. It was like that that proper came down the line thing. And Roddy said something that you said to me that time you were down at the college, which is when you, when you were working class back in those days, you're only two escapes from music and football. Yeah, and that absolutely. Was, I mean, yeah. well, yeah, I think that that resonates what, with everyone. I think I know. I Even mean, now, it's still the kind of case, isn't it? Yeah, and I th- I think if you're if you're Mark Baldwin at the time, it doesn't. Doesn't appear to be much of a footballer, I don't think so. I just think, just think about Matt Ball a bit. See, Matt Bone had to work like, and did Bowie too, had to work really, really hard yeah, to get a break, right? Now you, you, you get one chance, you don't get two breaks anymore, yeah, or three breaks, so. you know? And he, 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 he was down, up, down, 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 off, and they kept, they kept going and they kept going, and they, and they both made it massively, you know? You, well, don't that, get, um, you don't get a chance now. That single, I think that got to number two. That was his kind of big jumping off single, wasn't it? Can yeah, you remember? Yeah. Do you remember what kept him off the number one spot? Was it not? Uh, was it Don? It was Grandad by. Clive oh my Dunn. god, so it was man. Was and, that Matt Strange here before? Was that and he's the bass player on uh, Walking the Wild Side, man. You Absolutely, know? and uh, but lots of Daz Army fans, obviously, out there at, at, the, at the time. Yeah, it was on TV the other night too, and he said that. Um, he was fifty when he when he and, yeah. he and when he sang that song, wasn't he? Like he was. I mean, I still put it granddad to me. You know? So granddad was nineteen seventy. It was indeed. It must have got reissued because I, I kind of knew that on top of the pops as a kid. You're remembering a lot for one years old. That's what I mean. Is it couldn't have been? I, that see, I was one year old in nineteen seventy. <laughs> right there's um just to move on uh, from T Rex. There's a Rick Waitman story which is really nice if if you haven't heard it. So he did a lot of session playing. In the right. late 60s, and he, he lived in London, he knew a lot of those guys. And he's walking down um, one of the high streets, and Mark Bolden was, was walking down. And he says, Where are you off to? And he says, I'm going to do some recording. And um, he says, Right, Waitman, do you want to come? And he says, Yeah, no bother. So he goes down with him, and Waitman's got no money at the time. And uh, um, Bolden says, I'm recording a song here, can I need a piano player? So, oh, great, very good. So um, he comes on and it's uh, Get It On that he's recording. Oh, fantastic. And he says, um, what do you want me to do? He says, when I give you the cue, I want you to run your finger down the keys. Aye. And he gives him the cue and he does it. And he goes, that was great, thanks very much. Wow. When the song finishes, Rick Waitman says, to, why did why did you ask me to do that? He says, anyone could do that. You could have done that. And Mark Bowen says, well, I didn't need £25. That's lovely. Aye, aye, aye. That um, is tremendous, man. And I think there was a lot of that camaraderie at the time. That's a great story. Great story, isn't it? it. Um, Love it. And then Waitman, of course, becomes bigger and better. But at that time, he was getting the leg up. And I think, as you say, that it was, it was very much a tough school, Bobby. Yeah. 
Um, I, I think we'll, we'll give it a wee listen, yeah? yeah. Um, so, released in October 1970, and as I say, rates number two in the UK, this is Rider White Swan by T-Rex. That was Rider White Swan by T-Rex. He had a sad end in 1977, but when he was good, he was very good indeed. I mentioned before we played the song that wasn't on his album in 1970, which may be part of the reason that it wasn't on any of the best of lists that came out that year. Uh, however, if you look at the sort of top 10 of the composite best of, it's a pretty good list. I'll, I'll rattle down them, Bobby, and shout yeah. out any comments or thoughts that you've got, because there's some good stuff on here. 10 was a Funhouse by the Stooges. Wow. Um, they had that, that sort of 1970. Wow. Uh, 1970, yeah, they had wow. that kind of three-album run, didn't they? That, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, again, it wouldn't be anything to us, because no. we wouldn't be on our radar, you know? No, but going back, I guess you can see the, yeah, of the course, iconic absolutely. nature now. Nine was um, Cosmos Factory by Cleden's Clearwater. Yeah, right. that, was, that was a big record for Postcard, that one. We, we found that in the late 70s and early 80s. That was a, Cleden's were really big for us. Yeah, I saw Springsteen in 2012, I think, in Dublin. Uh, outside and it was literally sheeting and it was the, the worst weather I've ever saw Aye. and he came on to the stage on his own and he played Who'll Stop the Rain yeah. as he's kind he of still, he still all song. their legs still all their colours he still I mean off Fogarty man I mean John Fogarty what a writer you steal with Incredible. pride don't you steal with pride eight was Moondance by Van Morrison seven was Zep 3 by Led Zeppelin. So Zeppelin were out in 1970? You mentioned them earlier on there. This was their third wow. album. This was them, um, I guess, just before their, their Zep 4, which um, I guess was an iconic record, yeah. Did they not do later. like a few albums in quick succession, though, at the start? One a year, really, yeah, but they were wow. quite, quite folky, weren't they, to start? And then I, they... I, I really liked Led Zeppelin. I used to not like them at all, yeah. but I really liked them now, you know. Yeah, they're much more eclectic than maybe you, you think they are. Yeah. Until um, you listen. Six was a Bitches Brew by Miles Davis. God. Um, uh, I've scribbled a wee note here saying, you know, legendary status, but not everyone a fan. So I found a quote from Donald Fagan, who said, uh, to me, it was just silly and out of tune and bad. Bitches Brew? Bitches Brew. Wow. Five was uh, Lennon, the Lennon Ono record. Fantastic record. Solo record. Um, and, four, and four was All Things Must Past. Fantastic records. And, and maybe, you know, two together, arguably, they were never better, maybe, Harrison nope, and Lennon. I agree, yeah. yeah. Amazing records. Um, three was uh, Bridge Over Trouble Water, Simon Garfunkel. Fantastic record as well. That, that was a big one for us. That was the one you got everyone that had at home. In the yeah. Even your mum and dad's bought that record, man. My yeah. mum and dad played it in one. And Carol King was the other one. Tapestry was the that other was one. Right. Yeah, I was 71. Yeah. That, that got big, but it came out, I think, back in the 70, your, your Bob on. And they'd actually, uh, Simon and Garfunkel had broken up by the end of the year. That's right, yeah. Which is amazing if you... If you do you know just funny? See their, their, their comeback single when they reformed, My Little Town? Look it up. That is a fantastic record, by the way, man. Nothing but the dead of night in My Little Town. It's fantastic. I'll do that. Number two was After the Gold Rush, Neil Young. I love that. What fantastic record as well. And of course, he also uh, released Deja Vu the same wow. year. With the Cosmos wow. so double bubble for for Mister Young, um, very prolific at the time. Incredible. And I think you might like the number one from the best of lists, Bobby. It was Paranoid by Black Sabbath. Yeah, that I wish I'd put that on my list because that was a massive record, and another one was Black Knight by Deep Purple. But I wasn't sure if that was a seventy either. You right. know, 
you know, uh, I want you, I need you, I gotta be near you. And she's yeah. gonna remember I love it by Deep Purple, you know. And I mean, Deep Purple were for and, and free. That was that was our school, basically school disco. All those and, and paranoid as well, of course. Yeah, okay. that was a there's a pretty strong lineup of um, of records there. Uh, I think your next selection didn't make those um, top 10 best of lists, but the record itself was uh, critically, critically acclaimed at the time and continues to be. So tell us about Move On Up by Curtis Mayfield. Again, again that, that was, I remember, that's probably one of the records that, that that was really sophisticated, that really caught on. Mm. Obviously, again, it's a dance record, you know, by a mile. But again, it's not one where guys could, again, move on up. You know, you 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 could put another lyric on top of that man. You know, and I remember that got me. I remember maybe the following year, maybe it was. I hit, there was an Al Green song, so tired of being alone. Which I would always rush to the radio to turn off because it drove me crazy. Right, you know, I couldn't understand why a guy was singing. You know, so tired of being alone, like a real. And then now it's one of my favourite records of my whole life. I mean, and it, it's funny. I love in, you know. I don't want, I don't like coffee. I don't like porridge. I want sweeties and sugar puffs. And then slight tweak of the hormone, you know, like yeah. gauge. And wow, all of a sudden, all these things become clear to you, like Al Green. That isn't terrible. That's one of the most amazing records ever. And move on up. I mean, it's obviously the guitars on it are fantastic. He's singing in quite a high voice, you know. And then, and then the words. You could tell that the guy was quite gallish, you know, like, hey, move on up towards your destination, because you may find from time to time, you know, right? And then and then it hits the the, the explosion, such so yeah. a move on up, da, 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 da. you know, and then you, you can't help but feel euphoric. Yeah. I mean, but, I mean, he was Prince before it was Prince, if you think the Cuts people, you know? Absolutely. I mean, that guy could do everything, play anything, sing anything, write anything. <laughs> You know, so that that's again. I'm so glad that's one of the ones that stuck in my head. You know, and were you aware at all of the impressions who Curtis made? No, was but, in? But, no, but funny enough, no, no. But one of my first ever cassette buys was the the Precious. I still got it. Impressions greatest hits, mm. and that's a fantastic record. You know, you know. Well, he, he, he wrote "People Get Ready," didn't they? Which yeah, again, set, set the tone really for that. Again, we, 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 we went in, in that age. Hey, in that age, we went into investigating. We went into. We went into. We went into. It was never the act. Do you understand? What I mean, we went into investigating. It was. It was the hit. It was, it was the music. And I mean hit, not as a hit record. I mean the hit that we got, or the journalist that we got out of it that, that made us remember them. You know. They're talking about how gallus he was. Uh, there was a quote from someone that was doing a review of 1970s kind of soul music, and they said that the album that it came from, Curtis, was, quote, practically the Sgt. Pepper's album of 70s oh, soul. Absolutely. absolutely. Which I and, thought and was a really Steve, good quote because it's got everything Steve in it. As well. and the yeah, sleeve absolutely. And the imagery, and uh, yeah, it was amazing. He also, I think he then just after that did the Superfly soundtrack. Right. Um, yeah. There's a couple of those black exploitation. Films yeah. at the time that and the shaft obviously was. I mean, Freddie's dead. All those songs are are, inc are incredible songs as well. Yeah. You know, I didn't realize yeah, it. And, and, I mean, and also that forgot the power to the people. Power to again. We have to have peace. What was it called? Remember, it was pure John Lennon as well. Man, pure black vest and that. Oh, yeah, I, I can't remember the name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Dio get us on that one. Yeah, he's looking at me. No, I'm, I'm just remembering that 
I'll, I'll, I can look it up here, man. Documentary. Uh, we got to have peace. It was called British. It was called. Ah, yeah, yeah, peace, yeah. I think I only realised um, when we were gathering some information that he, he actually got paralysed on stage. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, early 1990s. Uh, he had a, I think he had a lighting rig or something. That, That's there's right. A, that there's a documentary yeah. called, I think it's Darker Than Blue. And um, it's, a, it's basically the history of the impressions and Curtis's solo stuff. And then it, it gets to the end and it's absolutely heartbreaking because mm. he's... I'd like to see that basically, well. He's basically a paraplegic and he's, the light, as you say, the lighting rig uh, paralysed him. And he's saying, but I'm still making music with new technology. I'm going to make an album in the next year. And he was dead within, well, he never made another album, put it that way. Well, well I, I, he did get a nice sign off um, when he was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It wasn't sort of fit enough to go along, but the guys he was inducted with at that time were um, Paul McCartney, uh, Billy Joel, Dusty Springfield, the Stable Singers, and Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> Yeah, well, the album version's uh, pretty long. I think it's eight and a half minutes. Uh, yeah, the single version, yeah. We've played safe and we're going for the single version of the podcast. The single reached number 12 in the UK charts and was in the top 50 for 10 weeks. This is the sound of Curtis Mayfield and Move On Up. And that takes us to the end of part one of our podcast with Bobby discussing the songs of 1970. We will be back soon with part two and we look forward to catching up then.